welcome back to Call and Shots, folks. I am Seth Partnow, and I am joined by a repeat guest. I feel uh, very fortunate that she agreed not only to come on once, but now twice. Uh, the the showrunner of Hacks on HBO Max, uh, Jen Statsky. Uh, Jen, welcome back. Thank you for, Hi, thank thanks you for joining me. having me. So I'll, I'll, I'll freely admit that with it, it dropping kind of during the NBA playoffs and the bulk of it during the finals, I'm only through six episodes of season. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. But, no, but, uh, it's a very busy time for you. I, I feel honored you even got through six during, during finals time. So I, I, I've, I enjoyed the first season. I've, I've enjoyed the second season. It seems like when we talked last time, we talked a little bit about how there wasn't actually a lot of comedy like actually the stand up bit of the comedy in mm-hmm. the show yet. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And you said that that was changing some in season two. Um, I wanted um, to ask about writing, like the process of writing stand up for yeah. fictionalized stand up. Yeah, it's really, um, it, it's, it's a challenge because, you know, you set yourself up with this dilemma, right? Which is the show's about a stand up comic. Well, at a certain point, you're going to have to show her doing stand-up um and it's you know it's like stand-up is our tough thing to communicate to the screen it's such like a live medium that it it's really hard and then also i think what's also difficult is you're telling the story it's not just like putting stand-up up for a special where it's like supposed to be good you know like you're telling the story of this act developing over time and so it, it's you're purposely writing jokes that aren't supposed to be great as you show the evolution of how, uh, you know, this this special and this hour develops. So it's a very interesting thing to to say, like, well, you know, I'm writing these jokes, but actually they're, they're supposed to be bad right now. <laughs> how much of that would be is if we if we like film the, the pitch room on a, on, in the like the, a pitch session in the writer's room? How how comparable do you think what we're seeing is to that? Just kind of throwing stuff against the wall. Yeah, and- it's pretty. It's pretty comparable. Like it's pretty. You know, I mean, I'm not. It's it's just a lot of like writing a million jokes, especially with like, um, you know, the way we do it, which is like we'll have we'll do a joke and then it'll be like, eh, can we beat that? And then you know, me and my co-creators Paul and Jay and all the other writers like just write them you know a ton of alts we call them uh and so yeah it's it's writing a bunch of jokes and options uh for each each individual line that you see on screen there's probably at least 15 alts for you know and I, I would guess that some of the previous shows you've written for that that can go on for kind of days and days with people trying to you know one up themselves, whether it's it's sort of puns of of business names or or what have you from uh, from sort of yeah the, yeah exactly like for Good Place we used to write I mean that was primarily Megan Amram's forte a, a very brilliant writer uh, who wrote on Good Place with me that was kind of her specialty was writing. Uh, food-based puns, but yeah, same thing. You write like a million options for different restaurant names, and yeah, it's just kind of like throwing a million things at the wall and seeing what sticks. Oh, there's without giving too much away uh, for people who haven't seen the show, and again, I recommend it. Um, there's, I think, a, to, from what I've seen so far, one of the key scenes in the se- in the season so far is there's almost like a moment of okay, we've written all this stuff, and now I'm going to throw it away. Um, mm-hmm. like scripting spontaneity. Yeah, there, there's, there's, there's a um, thing that happens sometimes when you're like breaking story um, on a show is like you'll you'll go down one path, like breaking story meaning figuring out what the story of the episode or the season is going to be. And sometimes what happens is like you go down one path and you like bang your head against the wall and then you realize like, oh, no, it's supposed to be an entirely different story. And then, you know, we call that like a a re-break, which is like when you kind of throw everything out and and have to re-break the whole thing. And that does have I mean, you know, the goal is for it to not happen a lot, um, but it definitely, definitely happens. Uh, And it's just kind of, you know. A, uh, uh, it's not great when it does, but I do find that often 
some of the best episodes we've done or I've done on other shows end up being ones that had to be fully rebroken. And then it was kind of like all hands on deck to make it work. Was that a challenge to make that sort of aha moment not be some sort of like deus ex machina kind of kind of and and then the jokes came kind of, yeah kind of yeah moments. exactly yeah i mean the, the goal was always to try to make it feel organic to character and to what she's been with you know previously and what she's been through previously in the season so um you know what we did is we, we tied it to this email that uh ava had written earlier in the season and had expressed some harsh truths about herself. And then only later on, as she's gone through other things, does she realize, like, oh, right, telling those harsh truths about myself is actually the key to making this work. So you try to plant it organically in character and what these characters have been through and not just, like, a a complete, like you said, out of nowhere just coming in to, like, save her. Um, Because that's not really how it works either creatively. You know, it's not like you step away and then someone else hands you the answer. Like, it is kind of this thing where you have to just bang your head against the wall and and soul search for the answer sometimes. And I think that's the, you know, the interesting part of of a lot of shows about, a lot of, like, media about creativity. Mm -hmm. I find that, like, moment of discovery. I find that when it's well done. Uh, the best example I can think of is there's a there's, I don't, have you seen Hustle and Flow? There's like a moment where they're like, I haven't actually. No, I, I think it's quite good. And there's a, like a, a scene where they're creating the song and they just kind of like they're messing around and then they get it and it feels very like earned and organic and it's just like yeah that's how creativity's that's how creativity works. Right. Right. And, yeah. Well, it's interesting because there's like I, I've noticed this from doing this show is there's a lot of like preconceived notions about how the creative process looks and what it should look like. And yeah, it's it's an interesting I kind of didn't realize that going into the show that people people have very specific ideas even about like um, what the creative process should look like and what, you know, people being creative is like, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, you know, why isn't, why aren't they funny, like, all the time, you know, and it's like, if you, if you put a camera in our writer's room, I don't know that you'd be uh, thrilled that at every turn is a hilarious conversation, maybe you would, but it's a little more, uh, I don't know, it's a little more boring than that, to be honest. I mean, there's a reason nobody has read the first draft of my book. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It, it, it was exactly. it was real bad until it wasn't. Um, it, it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's you know, it's a process. It's hey, it's a process. Trust the process. Uh uh and and yeah, that was kind of what we wanted to reflect in the show. Uh, speaking of trust the process, I think I speak for all of NBA Twitter when I say thank you uh, for, for, for that uh, for that runner. My, my my wife was also amused by that. Yeah, yeah. Sort of, I, you know, no, so actually, funny. they suck in them. <laughs> we had some Sixers fans uh, uh, be like Andy Greenwald over at the watch. We talked to him, and he was like, "Hey, man, what's your problem?" <laughs> uh, but I I was saying like I as a Clippers fan, I've gotten. Um, an incredible amount of shit in my life and incredible amount of jokes at my expense as a Clippers fan. So I, I, I empathize with the Sixers fans very much. I, I do not mean to kick them when they're down, even though that did end up being how it happened. Well, but between that and hustle, which we just dropped this week, uh, Sixers are kind of having a moment of yeah, yeah. Being a little bit of a... <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, not not maybe not undeserved. Um, So... With, I'm glad you kind of pivoted to basketball a little bit because I wanted to, like, it's kind of your your off season now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're in between seasons of hacks where we're like talking loosely about season three, but nothing is like solidified yet. So, first of all, is that what what does that look like, and is it much different on a you know a, a you know you're, you're doing eight episodes a season? Versus a network show where you're maybe doing twenty two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What what is what are those? What does that look like, and how does it differ? Uh, well, in it's the sane version versus the crazy version. Right. It's kind. Of, it's interesting because, like, 
you know, now I look back and I did 22 episodes, one season on Parks and Rec, and, like, I, I don't even understand how we did that. It's such a crazy pace. Um, what it means for us is, like, you know, we normally, the, the, but it's interesting because when, it, when it's your show and you're a showrunner, like, the off-season, so to speak, gets, like, very crunched down because, in an ideal world, your writer's room period is like 20 weeks, which is five months, is like a kind of a standard time for a writer's room. But that being said, usually Paul Lucina, as the creators, we have to do a bunch of work beforehand, uh, like arcing out the season and, and doing all this stuff. So there's work done there at that point, then there's 20 weeks of that. And then shooting for eight episodes is, you know, four months. So then you're already up to nine months. And then editing, you know, we were editing while we were shooting. But then there was another, like, month of that. And that was ten months. Uh, so then you're, like, really getting... And then press. <laughs> and so, like, you really only end up with, like, a month free from this, like, calendar if you're staying uh, in production and, and doing it that way. If you're trying to, like, have uh, your show kind of come out every year. When do you, like, figure out who's in it? When do you do your player personnel stuff? You know, yeah, you, yeah, you, right, right. When, when, do you, when do you, like, when in that process are you, I mean, are it's you kind like, of, staffing the writer's room? Yeah, I mean, we, we generally, like, a, a lot of the writers from season to season come back. Um, you know, our cast have deals, so we kind of know who's going to be retained from from season to season, but kind of now, like now is the time when you're sort of looking ahead to like, okay, if we do a season three, who's gonna, I don't know, what, how, what are the storylines? What, what actors do we need more than others? Like what writer, you know, so it's kind of like right now, but it, it all happens very quickly and, and condensed. But there's nothing about that that sounds familiar to me other than everything. <laughs> really? Does that does that like ring true to your experience? Uh, yeah, I mean it, the, the the timing is a little different. Like in when the break is, mm -hmm. um, I imagine you get about like of an actual sort of vacation. You probably get about three weeks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like the the biggest difference is that like all like the personnel, like figuring out the writers and the cast and everything mm -hmm. um, happens, you know, basically kind of starting now through the start of July mm -hmm. and then everyone takes their three weeks of vacation and then we kind of come back and do right. it. Right. Right. Yeah. As opposed yeah. to that being, that being first, but it's very, it seems like it's, it's, it's very similar. And like, yeah. Cause exactly like you're saying, like once the season ends, like you're regardless of whether you're, in the playoffs or not, I imagine you just kind of immediately start looking towards the following season, and there's not really, yeah, not really downtime that way. And it's, um, I imagine for people who have, like, multiple shows at once, it might be a little like this, but it's, like, it's a good problem to have, but the yeah. situation of doing both is actually, um, I, I, it, it's, like, right. mind-bendingly hard. When you, right. it's like you make a deep playoff run and you're also doing this other stuff at the same time because it's, right, it's like right. the mindset of needing to switch from, okay, right now we've got to, what do we have to do to win? You know, can we do anything to help? Yeah. Tonight? And, and it's also, like, <laughs> yeah, it's like you want to be there. You don't want to not be in the playoffs. But yeah, that is, that's very, uh, very tricky. And I and I can I you know the, the of course the difference is you know not to not to woe is me the people with their poor NBA jobs but this summer is <laughs> going to be this this summer is going to be the first like real break that a lot of people have had for two and a half years just with how right with how the the bubble yeah. and everything was yeah, yeah yeah and how short last off season was right and, so, right I know so, yeah there's that's an interesting thing that probably like not a lot of you know there's like a fatigue that probably will set in pretty soon or is already for for these players and these teams that have been just going kind of like consistently without much of a break for a long time I mean I think we've I think frankly we've seen that I mean I think you know the Bucks and Suns like I don't think it's completely coincidental that both of them kind of broke down. Yeah, in yeah, different totally. ways. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Whereas the Warriors had more of a rest. Yeah, and the you know Celtics got knocked out in the first round last yeah, year. So, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you're from the Boston area. 
I am, yeah. I'm from, yeah. Mil- I'm from Milton, Massachusetts, which yeah. is like um, 10 minutes south of Boston. This might sound like a silly question in about uh, 10 hours <laughs> after game four, but <laughs> Celtics seemingly in control of the finals. Yeah. Uh, what's yeah. your level of FOMO? Um, I, I'm like... I'm a little bit, you mean like in terms of like, do I wish I was going to Boston, going to a game? Or, or having like, you know, changed your allegiance. Oh, or, changed my allegiance to the yeah. Clippers. Uh, no FOMO whatsoever. Cause it's such a like, I think if I had FOMO, I'd be a bad fan. Right. Cause like, <laughs> I am just like, well, yeah, but I can't, it's like, I just can't picture switching allegiances. So it's, it is what it is. I actually like. This is like a funny finals for me because I used to have such strong feelings both ways. I used to be back when the Warriors kind of had the Clippers number and they were, um, you know, really dominant. I mean, I guess they're still dominating. But but back in like kind of the golden era of the Warriors, like I hated Draymond Green so much. I was so uh, passionately an anti-Draymond <laughs> person. And and then also I used to kind of like actively root against Boston teams. And now I've kind of like leveled out somewhere in the middle on both of them. Like I don't really have too strong of a feeling about Draymond anymore. And I actually kind of like this Boston team quite a bit. I like, you know, I like Brown a lot. I like Marcus Smart. Like, so I don't know. It's interesting. Sure. No, that's uh, that was that was always an interesting question people ask me. Is like, so the Bucks? You feel it's like, no, I'm actually, you know, I'm enjoying sleeping. So, yeah, and yeah, that's right. Sort of, yeah, that's sort of. Um, yeah. What's your so? What's your read so far on? You think it's over tonight? Uh, I've been wrong so much about the playoffs <laughs> that I'm like, yeah. I mean, it's and also like I think Boston's a better team, except for the parts where they are crazy for five minutes in a row, mm-hmm. count two, right, right. So it's like, uh, do we get the forty-three minutes where they're playing the way they should play, or the or the other five minutes, and that, right. and, and you know, so and that right. they've done that every series so far, and just I I, I don't know, yeah, just don't yeah, know. <laughs> yeah, like I, I think. Know. I think Boston should win from here, but right. like, can they actually like keep it together to do so? Do you think so? there's, like, I was reading some stuff this morning about any chance that they would sit Draymond because he's just, you know, seemingly no. not, no chance, right? No, I mean, like, even if that, like, I, 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 A, I think that would probably be the wrong call because he's going to play better. Mm-hmm. B, like, I think if there's something we've seen over the course of Steve Kerr's coaching career, it's that he's extremely loyal to, to yeah. events. And yeah. that's not, yeah. you know, that doesn't make him unique among, uh, like, like that, that's sort of something that, that I often criticize coaches for. But, I mean, yeah. in this case, like, I think that he's probably earned a little bit of of, uh, of leeway. But he's a better. Yeah, I'm curious because, like, I remember back in the Doc Rivers Clippers era, that was one of my biggest frustrations with Doc is just sticking with, you know, sticking with the vets and kind of this blind allegiance and not making those adjustments. And it was so frustrating as a fan. And I'm curious, I don't know many Warriors fans, actually, like, like not many of my friends are Warriors fans. Like, I'm curious if they're kind of ride or die with Draymond and they don't want that. Or is is the consensus among Warriors fans, they wouldn't mind an adjustment. Well, first of all, I thought you were done taking shots at the Sixers, and there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another reason I empathize with with the Sixers fans quite a bit. Is like the the frustrate the highs and lows of the Doc Rivers experience and the frustrations of him. I'm also very familiar with. No, I think I think that like I think that that Warriors fans like a want him to play better, but b yeah. like I mean if you're. If you're not, like, you're, I think, you know, you mentioned being a bad fan. If you're, like, someone who's given, like, how important he's been to one of the great runs of all time. Yeah. Like, he's got, he, if he doesn't have a little bit of a lifetime pass from Warriors yeah, fans, yeah, what yeah. are we doing here? Right, right, exactly, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, like, in terms of, of I don't know, like, it's, I, it's, like, Clay Thompson could hit 12 threes tonight and I wouldn't be surprised. So. Right, I know, I know. It's just that's the thing too is you. We've all seen that offense turn it on in the blink of an eye and just go absolutely nuclear. So that that is what makes the game very exciting. And and frankly, that's why this has been like as enjoyable a finals at least through three games as I can remember. Is it's just like, um, 
you know, without sort of the 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 angst of being in one of the cities. And and Milwaukee was pretty angsty uh, mm-hmm. during the finals <laughs> last year, even for someone who's I don't know whatever my level of investment in that team is. Um, right. It's like the, the, the so, but having like no real skin in the game, it's been a very just enjoyable series as a as a fan and an observer. Yeah, I think it's been a very fun finals, like in a in a way that like as a like I said, as someone who has like no skin in the game and like no actual like kind of be happy for either team. It, it's just been a good it's been a good matchup. And it and which is which is nice because we had to suffer through some mediocre basketball in the in the conference finals, especially to get there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, uh, you expecting the Clippers to be here next year? <laughs> <laughs> hoping, rather than expecting. Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly hoping, certainly hoping. You know, it's like. It's so, it's like the, the Kawhi Paul George era has just been full of so much hope and then so much, you know, like, okay, well, uh, next year, next year, or, uh, you know, uh, three months from now, he'll be back, you know. So I, I'm hoping very strongly, but I think the health thing is just such a giant question mark, right? I think so, though it, it does help when you can spend all the money to make sure that you can do everything possible next year to, you know, give Kawhi as, as much time off as he wants during the regular season and not really miss that right. much of a beat. That, that, right, that, right. It's a nice luxury. Who Looking forward to next season, who are you looking at as, as you're like, oh, I think that team will make a leap? Um, I mean, Denver is kind of uh, one of the obvious ones, just if, if, right. if Murray they get a little, coming they back, get a, yeah. yeah, if they get a little healthy. I mean, there's no reason the Celtics won't continue to be just very good. Um, like the the lingering thing is is like if you know the not to get too nerdy about it, but like the injury Robert Williams had and the surgery he had to correct it has a track record of being sort of a lingering, possibly career altering thing. So that's yeah. sort of a background thing right, about right. since he's so important to them. Yeah, um, I mean the Bucks are going to be really strong next year. I think the Nets are going to be really good next year, assuming they can, like, you know, they had they had one of sort of the all-time, like, Murphy's Law seasons, it seems like. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and so I think that they're getting, and lost what was, despite being a sweep, a pretty close series to Boston. So I think that, I think that there's going to be a lot of really interesting teams next year. Um, I think, you know, the Lakers people are going to say, what about us? And I say, Pasha. Yeah. Um, as, as much as I like their new coach, I, it's like, it's, I don't. I, well, it's also interesting because it's like a lot of those teams you just mentioned are in the East. Like, it does seem like the West. I mean, listen, I think the Suns will still be great. I think, like you said, Nuggets, maybe, you know, if they get healthy, could, you know, can't, can't go against them. But, like, it does seem like maybe the West feels like the East now is more competitive than the West. Maybe though, I think that was a, that was a sense a little bit this year. But I think that has much to do with like the Nuggets, Lakers, and Clippers all being sort of compromised physically. Yeah, so that's true. Year. Yeah, I guess the East is just like it's maybe the it's like got younger. There were younger stars that kind of rose yeah. up, and other than like Booker and Luca in the West, yeah. Yeah. So a question from someone in, in the chat is uh, rating this playoffs overall from a fun standpoint. It's a good question. Yeah. There's been there's been like the second round I thought was pretty good. The first round was up and down, and the conference finals were blah. Conference finals were it was just so many games where they were over in the first quarter, right? You know, like it was just the first half, like these huge leads people got out to, and you kind of felt like it was not worth watching the rest of the game. Well, and the, I I found that the I found the Boston Miami series just a hard watch. Yeah, almost regardless yeah. of the of the like it's sort of peak over almost overly competitive fl- throw ourselves to the ground and stop yeah, the right, of, right. You're like watching uh, wincing the whole yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's you know it, it like it and it's a you know how do you how do you manage a game when it's when people are that like that level of win at all cost competitive. Like, right, right, right. I have some sympathy, but I don't think it was handled well. Yeah. You think that all like on the mic, like Zach come from Butler and like just trickle down. 
I mean, it's Lowry, it's it's Butler, yeah. it's like for as much as I like a lot of what everything that Eric Spolster does, they've consistently and they got fined for this multiple times. They've consistently been the team that has like guys jumping up and down behind shooters on the bench the most. Right, I know like, that stuff was crazy. Like the, it's like come on, like that. That's such a lame like thing to do is like standing close to the baseline and trying to freak out the shooter. It's so annoying. I don't. So and and the funny thing is, is I don't think it actually matters. I've, yeah, I've when I've like to the extent you can research this before. I haven't. I've I've looked and I've found no difference about <laughs> how teams yeah. shoot in front of the opposing team's bench versus right. Like, right. Oh, other, that's such an interesting corner. stat to look into. Yeah, I've never yeah. thought of that. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I imagine if these guys are professional athletes who can drown out playing in front of a massive arena full of screaming fans, they can also probably, you know, not be psyched out by the guy behind them on the baseline. I think it's actually um, because this, it was, you, you could see that the shooting was better along the sidelines in the bubble mm-hmm. and in the games where like the, like everyone was back. So I just think it's like, I don't think it matters who it is. I just think that they're being like people in your space, almost doesn't matter if you're your teammates, your opponents, whatever. It's it seems like that there's no difference between it being a fan, your teammate, or a guy right. on the opposing team trying to blow in your ear. Right, right, right. And, and although the the latter probably like is is something that that is NBA specific, as I imagine you go down, lower skilled players are probably more affected by that than. Yeah, I'm sure, like, a, yeah, yeah, a lower-skilled player, like a rookie who just is still a little bit rattled by, the, you know, that level of, of stage that they're playing on. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's I would, I would, I mean, if we're going with a rating system out of, what, 10? I would, I would give it an 8, 8 out of 10. Does that feel? Uh, 7 and a half, 8, yeah. That's 7 and a half, yeah. yeah. I mean, what's our bar for ten? I guess is the what would be ten? I don't know. Like it, it I think the like, I, I think people's bar for ten would be like the twenty fourteen finals. Twenty fourteen. Who is twenty fourteen? Oh, so, so twenty thirteen finals. The the one where like the the Ray Allen shot. Oh yeah yeah yeah. The seven yeah. game series. Right they, right. Yeah. Like I think I think that would be the like, mm-hmm. in terms of of one of the peak basketball yeah, series right ever. right like, yeah i think that's that that's, that's not a terrible place to start yeah yeah memory i mean i guess you got to put well what was the lebron comeback 2016 yeah just for sheer i mean i guess not necessarily for the excitement of basketball up until the 3-1 but like just for sheer historical precedence i guess that's i would put up there I'm trying to remember if that's the year that there were uh, this. Uh, I always think of this because a, a friend of mine works for the Raptors. There was one year where the Cavs beat the Raptors in one game. They won a game where LeBron was basically sprinting to like <laughs> the sideline and somehow hits like a, a, a 19 footer as he's like running out of bounds. Yeah, was that the one? It was kind of like a one legged shot. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think it was. I don't know, but I, I remember that yeah. shot in that moment. Yeah, and, it was insane. And and, and and shout out to Keith Boyarski, but you can see him if you watch it again. You can kind of see him in like the background, like <laughs> folding his arms disgustingly oh, as the shot no. goes. Just knowing it's going <laughs> it's in. Like, yeah, yeah. Man. Those are always the best. Being able to pick out people you know from the crowd yeah, and see their disgusting yeah. reactions. So funny. Yeah. Um, what, what? Wait, I had something I wanted to ask you. Oh, I guess I kind of wanted to ask you, like, as you watch, as a, like, with your background, as you're watching the games, like, how much of it, your kind of analytical, statistical background, like, are you able to, like, are you ever able to turn that off is kind of what I was wondering, like, when you're, when you're watching these finals, you know what I mean? Like, do you see everything through that prism, or are you kind of able to just go, like, eh, I'm just going to watch this one as a fan? Um, I mean, that's, that's sort of how I've always been a fan and player of sports, is, is so I, I don't, like, that. I don't really necessarily see a distinction. Like, right, you don't know any, there's no yeah, different way it's for like, you to do it, like, yeah. Like that's also like it's that that's the way I enjoy it too. So it, it is sort of um, like 
I, uh, it's probably since it became a profession for me, like being able to completely shut the any sort of like stat stuff off. It's probably harder. Right. But, right. But I was I've sort of always watched sports in a how's this work kind of way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think it's that's just sort of a natural a natural extension. And right. it's like and again, that's like you know, watch the game and enjoy it. Well, that's that's how I enjoy it. Like that's, you know, but, right, right. It doesn't feel like work to you to look yeah. at it like that. It's just kind yeah. of the natural. And when you look at these two teams, like when you said earlier, Boston's a better team. Do you, you feel on paper as well? Like if you're you're both the eye test and on paper, they're a better team. Uh, I think so. I mean, I think for there's you know, um, uh, you know, my colleague at the Athletic, John Hollinger, wrote today about. You know how the playoffs are becoming as much about who the worst player on the floor is about is about the best, mm-hmm. and like the Celtics, in addition to having really good players, are also you know very rarely playing bad players. Yeah, right. And, you know, and it, it, it's relative. Like you know, like Jordan Poole is a very good NBA player relative to thirty teams. Sure. I think we've seen so far in the finals, he's not an upper echelon player. Compared yeah. to like the two best teams, right? You know, right, the, right. The yeah, and, yeah, right. It's was that article sort of. I haven't read it, but it was kind of talking about maybe that this is a uh, going away from the super team uh, era that we were dealing with for so long. Yeah, and I'm not sure I buy that completely. I think that it's it, it's entirely possible we're sort of in a, a uh, like an interregnum between kind of. You know, as sort of the LeBron, KD, Chris mm-hmm. Paul era of superstars kind of, and those kind of teams sort of fades away, and the the next generation is still sort of rising. Yeah, um, right. And then with the kind of the two team, like I would say that like the Clippers with Kawhi and the Bucks with Giannis were maybe the two teams that were like best situated to like rise to that level, and it's just for you know injury and other reasons. It, kind of hasn't quite worked Come out together, that way yeah. over yeah, yeah as like that level of dominance so right. I, I like i think there's some of that but there's also i think that yeah as teams become more sophisticated like ooh that guy we we're going to we're going to we're going to exploit that guy like that's right. become Right. And teams have been, become smarter about how they do it. Like, right, hunting out that guy on the yeah. floor and just like yeah making making the teams pay for playing them yeah well, I've and I think teams have become smarter how they do that. It used to be just like you know the LeBron style. We're going to set screens until the bad defender switches on me, yep. and then I'm going to put him in the basket. Yep. And everyone else tried to do that, and it ended up with like some actually pretty ugly offense. Yeah, <laughs> guys, because guy not LeBron trying to do that doesn't work as well. Strangely, yeah. Um, but um, I like I remember uh, like. Uh, so there was a story a friend of mine told about like they're interviewing a draft prospect and he was what they were having him watch plays and break them down and he was like there was a play where against the Suns against the Nuggets where okay they're running like they're running this play at Michael Porter Jr. because they're putting him in this action off the ball and he's going to screw up and they're going to get a dunk mm-hmm. and so they're targeting him but they're not targeting him by like you guard the ball they're like he'll fall asleep if we do this to him and then we'll score. Right, and teams right. are being very, very intentional and, and and smart. And I think that because like staves are so much bigger now, they can sort of find those little things given time. Right, they can yeah. really like hone in on the, a player yeah. and and find their weakness. Yeah, why yeah. are why are staves bigger now? Uh, I mean, just it's a combination of technology and money. Yeah, I mean, right. they're you know just if you think about the difference in like. You know, to have a full video library of of like the entire season of games was only like twenty five years ago. You needed to have like, you know, a guy in a room with with you know twenty VCRs. Right, right. <laughs> and now it's just it's you know there's you know there's League Pass, there's there's uh, various services where you may have to check your computer for malware afterwards. Sure. Uh, where, you can, <laughs> where you can where you can acquire video pretty quickly and like storing the like you know the the ability to store it digitally is is and index it is so much better than it than it used to be. So that's part of it. And then like you also just have you know you have money to have like you know okay we're I, I guess we're gonna I guess we need a six video coordinator this year. Right. You know, right. Kind of, um so that I think that all you know, and that on top of which, you know, with the obviously sort of my area of the shop, the the increasing amount of information, both 
sort of on the floor, but also medical. Mm-hmm. Like you, you yeah. need people who can who can deal with who can like digest that data. Yeah, and, yeah, make it usable yeah. for the team. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, not this is oh, this is becoming a Spanish Inquisition sketch very quickly. <laughs> and but no, and, and as the basketball world gets bigger, like your right. sort of your scouting operation, both sort of in person and video, needs to, you know. I don't think that I don't think many teams had like, like you know, people scouting like the African continent, like specifically, even five mm-hmm. years ago. And mm-hmm. now I think I think the bulk of teams at least have a consultant who does that. Right? Are there so, teams in the league? And maybe I should know this, but like, are there teams like just inner inner league kind of talk? Like, are there teams that are much more resistant to? kind of the tech and that data being data driven than others. And like, is there sort of a, Oh yes. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's one of the, this is so it's funny because for whatever reason, the, in the public discourse about basketball, you're not allowed to be, if you like run a team, you're not allowed to be sort of anti-analytics and mm-hmm. super old school. So everyone, why says, is that? I, I'm not entirely sure. I think it's, I, it's it's, I think it probably has to do somewhat with demographics of the fan base. Mm-hmm. Is my okay. only, yeah. is my uh, like re- and I'm speaking like relative to hockey, right. where like there's still you know you regularly you have the you know the only stat that matters is is wins. And it's like right, oh, right, cool, okay, but cool. How do you get there? Yeah. Um, so. But I think that masks there being sort of a wide range in both investment and adoption sort right. of across across the league. And there are, and and there's also like people who like are spending money about on it and want to be invested, but they don't know how because um, uh-huh. like, you know these are these are these are basketball companies. These are basketball executives. They're not like software companies. Right. So right. There's there's some not knowing exactly how to do it that that. That is, you know, changing, but it's still it's a it's a uh, it is a process. That right. Teams do, do, is that kind of like a, a GM driven thing? Like the GM sets the priority. Like if it is a more old school approach and resistant to the data, who is kind of like setting that tone and mandate? Um, somewhere between like GM and ownership. Like, yeah. Like between right. there, like like ownership in part because if you want your organization to run that way, you're going to tend to find a GM that also agrees with you. Yeah. Yeah. But even if you, you happen to hire a GM that thinks that way, I mean, resourcing is, is a, is a question. I mean, um, like the, 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 the Timberwolves are in the process of being bought by a tech guy and they're in the process by, you know, the end of this off season, they'll probably have the largest analytics group in the league. They weren't, they were kind of around median before, but it's got it. They've they've expanded and are continuing to expand rapidly because that's like a priority of right you know, right of, of the new going. ownership yeah. yeah interesting interesting which which is you know fun but um but it but there's there, there remains kind of a widespread um and it's in and the tech has has advanced to the point where I think most teams recognize that there's something that they have to be getting out of it out of like the, the tracking data. And if they're not, it's a pretty big competitive disadvantage. Right. Right. Well, it's also so interesting because like what, what is the time? How quickly do you need to see results from the data? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I, I imagine, yeah, I'm probably speaking to, to exactly things you've experienced, right? Like it, it's, it, you know, like it, it doesn't, isn't the data collection and the accumulation of that. Doesn't that take time? And then to put that into into effect. I mean, it's the, uh, yeah, it's the, the edge isn't really in the data. The edge is in the interpretation and Mm -hmm. sort of dissemination and integration into decisions. And so there's, there, there are kind of, there, there's, there's, there's a, there's a temporal pressure that you're, you know, okay, this has got to work fast, but okay. But if you want it to work well, like it's sort of, you can, like you know, you can pick, uh, you can pick, uh, you know, insightful, uh, inexpensive, or, or you know, or fast, and you can maybe have two of those, but you certainly can't have all three. Right. So, right. like, 
Um, and that was, uh, and frankly, that was like part of why I, I, I moved on is you're ending up doing so much like, uh, you know, to use the, the terminology from the MASH series, you're doing a lot of meatball surgery. Right. Um, like, the time, like the, 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 you know, you, we, we talked about like the time to do vacation. It's like, it, it oftentimes it like the choice comes down to, all right, I can, you know, update our code base and build a new model and, and, you know, learn some new things and blah, blah, blah. Or I can take a vacation. Right. Right. Like, right. Cause during the season, I don't have time to do those things. But yeah. I do now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm tired and I want to go to Disneyland. <laughs> right, right, right. That's such a, you know, it's it's something we we kind of the show deals with a lot is like this intersection of work life versus personal life and the balance. And I, I imagine you know something we all struggle with, or not struggle with, but like you know are very aware of is this idea of like the creativity. It's like hard to turn it off, and it's hard to you know, it's hard to take time off. It's hard to like actually be like, okay, I'm not thinking about the show. I'm not doing this. And I, it's, it's interesting. Sounds like it's a little bit the same thing with what you do. I mean, I took the first like real vacation, uh, kind of right at the end of the regular season, basically that I let, like I almost completely unplugged for a week. Yeah. It was the first time I'd done that in probably close to a decade. Wow. And it was like, I was, you know, and I was only partially successful because I didn't like delete Twitter from my phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's where the fact that like, you know, the job is also the hobby sort of like, yeah, I'm not not working. I'm just watching basketball. Exactly. That that's, I struggle with that too. The job is the hobby. Like, cause I'll, if I want to say like, I don't want to think about the show, but then I'm like, I'm going to watch TV. It's like very hard for me to watch TV and not think about my own show and, and either, you know, say, you know, feel this is, <laughs> oh no, this is so much better. This is so much worse, you know? Let me, so let me ask you about, did you always know you wanted to be in, in, in comedy? Um, I didn't quite know exactly comedy. I knew like growing up, I was like really, really into TV. I was like a kid who I was an only child and my parents were, you know, not around that much and, or like were, but not, not as attentive emotionally as they should have been. And so I just watched a tremendous amount of television, specifically like, um, Nick at Night, like, uh, the Mary Tyler Moore show was a huge influence to me, even like as a little kid, like truly, I think I was like nine watching it. Um, and so I kind of just like fell without realizing it, I fell in love with television and like sitcoms and storytelling that way. And so writing, and then as I went through school, writing was something I was better at than all the other things. Um, I, I was just pretty bad at all the other things like math. Uh, and so it just kind of like, I didn't know I wanted to do comedy, but I knew I loved television. I knew I liked writing. And so it kind of just naturally converged together. Then when I went to college at NYU, they had a good film and TV program, which is why I sought it out and just kind of naturally fell into it that way. So and on that level, I guess it's, it is like, as you're saying, it, it's gotta be somewhat similar. And it's like, Hey, this thing that I that I really like is also, is also my day job. So. Yeah. Yeah. I find it, I find that to be a real like challenge. I'm, I'm like constantly, I tell everyone I'm on the search for a hobby cause I really am. I'm like desperate for a hobby that isn't, um, isn't related to TV or film. And, you know, basketball is kind of what I, when people ask me what it is like basketball is kind of what I say, but the only thing with being in a, like that being your hobby is like it's not it's not active you know i'm not i'm not doing anything i'm just watching the games and reading a ton about it yeah i mean i think that that like this this annoys my wife to no end i think that's part of why like when i have time i like to watch other sports it's cuz it's easier for me to even though I'm still trying to like figure out how it works, like mm-hmm. I don't know enough about how a car works to like have really like detailed thoughts about Formula One. Yeah, right, like, right. Like, it's fun and, yeah, and yeah, loud noises right. and crashes and, <laughs> right. and you know bright colors, but like, yeah, um, so, yeah. 
I have you gotten very into form? My husband is really into Formula One since like <laughs> I mean, kind of like everyone know. else. Right yeah, now. yeah, exactly. No, the net, Netflix got me. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, it's I'm not as into it as he is, but I have watched some, and I'm like, this is uh, the level of danger about it is just terrifying, though. It, it's a little bit. I kind of I don't know. It makes me so nervous. I mean, the fact that there's like the guy who you know in one of the episodes get like crashes and gets lit on fire. The fact that he's still racing. He doesn't race yes. in Formula 1 anymore, but he's, yeah, like, he's right. just at the Indy 500. It's just like, right, right. It's I don't even really... know if I'd get in the car again. I know, I know. Car. Yeah, I wouldn't get in an Uber, much less yeah that, that car. I know, it's really... It's interesting being like a NBA fan and seeing like the crazy level of competition and what these guys put their bodies through and then realizing there's even like another level of insanity where these men are like truly risking their lives every single like day it's it's crazy i mean it's it, it is almost more akin to you know that as we bounce from one entertainment to another it's almost like the uh like the you know how they made top gun with the actually getting in the planes and and you know doing the the the, the, the aerial stunts and stuff like that yeah, yeah. i know i know so it's, yeah oh sorry Oh no, go for it. No, so so uh, someone in, in the comments asked a question. I think I guess you're you know since we talked about this a little bit, uh, it's like um, you know the question is what is your thought of the of fans think that stats and data ruin sports? And oh, interesting. Let me let me like is that something that you perceive at all? Not that you're going to be the avatar for all sports fans, <laughs> but no, I but, should definitely like, not. <laughs> um, but, and that's something I that's something I hear a lot. You know, it's the watch the game nerds kind of thing. But, yeah, yeah. No, I don't, I look at it as like, it's just another way to analyze the game. You know, it's like there, if you want to, it's there, you know, I don't know. Like, I guess there's two things. One, like the existence of it to watch and absorb as a fan is, you know, that is just another thing to kind of read about. And, and if you have an interest in it, do it. I guess the question is like, right, is it affecting the way teams play the game to a level where you feel that it's ruining it. I I don't really, I mean, you certainly probably have a much more nuanced take on this, but I've never felt that the data or analysis or like, you know, uh, you know, you, you know, far more about the mid range shot. You're kind of the expert on it, but like, I don't know the, the mid range shot is, is it's, it's not a good shot. It's not like, it's not the most benefit. Like, I don't know. Like, I guess what's the argument that like, it's pushed us towards, uh, you know, three point shooting being the be all end all of the game. I, I mean, the, so the argument is that teams all play the same now, and I don't like watching these finals. Mm-hmm. Like both of these teams shoot a lot of threes, and I don't see how you watch the like just these finals games and say these two teams play the same. Like that's yeah, I don't get that at all. Yeah, and I think so. I think that that's like. Like honestly, there's a lot of my thought on this is that there's a lot of commentary that does like fans a disservice by almost misdescribing what they're seeing. Right. Like, you know the the analogy that that you know it's it's sort of facile, but it's like oh why are these NBA teams all shooting threes? Like oh why are these football teams all trying to score touchdowns instead of safeties? <laughs> right. Like, right. Like, exactly. Game, like it's you know. just I, I mean if it's a smarter way to play the game. It's a smarter way to play the game. Like I, I, ca- I can't fault a team for trying to do that. No, that doesn't. I mean, it doesn't remove questions about whether this is, you know, because it's showbiz. It doesn't like, you know. I think that I think that the extremely analytics friendly style has made, for example, baseball less enjoyable as a spectator product. Right. I'm not. See, I'm not like a baseball fan at all, but I do know obviously the the data and analytics of baseball is insane. And so I'm what exactly what is how has it affected baseball negatively? Oh, so it's basically it's 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 uh, you know the the style of baseball that it seems like is best is sort of that it's three true outcomes. Like either you walk hit a home run or strike out. Yep. And so that's like, you know, all of those things, like aside from maybe walking, like two of those things are sort of exciting as part of a normal thing. But if there's no, like, you know, people miss stolen bases, they miss bunts, they miss fielding plays, they miss all these other things right. that they're just less of. And that also means that because like walking and like 
getting to the worst pitchers has become such a thing is games just take longer because teams are just taking more pitches. So right, right. Um, and you know, I think that's I don't. I mean, I think that's a that is a question of rules rather than analytics per se because it's it's like uh, um, you know the exam like the example is is like oh I can't believe a team is trying to take advantage of this loophole in the CBA. It's like well if you're designing the CBA and you're not asking yourself how would Daryl Morey use this? Mm-hmm, you're, mm-hmm. You're yeah, yeah, of, you gotta like. You know, there, there's a thing in uh, improv where you're told to play to the top of your intelligence. And it's like, you kind of got to do that in this too, right? Like, you got to think of like, what is the smartest, most analytics-based person who can like, is so good at explaining loopholes, like, think like them and try yeah. to try to prevent that. Like, the, in- the incentives for the people who are competing is not towards necessarily towards the health of the entire endeavor and so you have to make the rules such that those are more aligned and right. you know baseball has failed at that i don't think basketball has failed at that but i think that the way it's described or misdescribed with like you know memories of things that didn't actually exist <laughs> right, like right dominating like oh it's like you know the the 80s were more physical and it's like yeah right. no there were more cheap shots and yeah, like, exactly. Was, like that, that's, it, it was just, it was like a little more violent, right? <laughs> that's like what it is. And it's also interesting because it's like, I, I do get that analytics has changed it and, and, you know, has put more value on the three point shot. And that's why teams trending that way. But it's also like, what is also the correlation between the younger generation of players now? Like, you know, I was talking to friends who have little, kids and like Steph is just like Steph's their guy like it's not LeBron it's Steph and like Steph I feel like is the biggest superstar to young kids in the last you know 10 years and they all just want to play like him and so it's also like kind of it feels like there's something you can't argue which is like but this is really exciting the way he plays is really exciting hitting those insane shots and like little kids that's what they're seeing the kids who are playing basketball are emulating that and so it's also just like kind of a natural thing, you know, it's like, yeah. this is the way kids want to play This is the way as they then become college, high school and college and pro players. That's how they came up playing. I mean, you know, 15 years ago, 10 years ago it would have been, you know, kids shooting elbow turnaround fadeaway jumpers yelling Kobe. Exactly. So it's, yeah. You know, it's yeah. Like, and it's, and, you know, it's the kind of thing like, okay, he can do that. Everyone else who's trying to do that shouldn't. Yeah, right. But that's right. sort of that's that that that's sort of a universal thing. Like, like the bulk of people who are trying to do this aren't NBA players, and so saying they're ruining the game at all levels because kids are emulating them. Well, it's like that's sort of how it works. Yeah, that's how it works exactly. Like it's like that Kobe could only hit those shots, but it's like that's what happens. They they love these players, and the players make it look so exciting and good. That's the mark of like a superstar. Like. That's what they want to do, right? So I, yeah. So that I, I, I did ask the question, hoping that you would give me a soapbox. And, and <laughs> yeah, for, yeah. Thank you for no applying. Pro- no problem. I, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> deliver. Throw, throw me right? this lob, please. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll finish yeah. it off. Oh man. Um, all right. Well, I have a lunch that I have well, to get to, even though I could keep talking for hours. Well, I, I was just about to say I've, I've kept you for about an hour, and I really appreciate your, your time once again. This is fun. Um, uh, maybe do it again sometime. Yeah, happy happy to come back whenever in my in my very brief off season. <laughs> <laughs> Mine as well. Well, uh, Jen Statsky, thank you again for uh, for for joining me again. This is this was uh, as much fun as it was last time, and uh, hope to hope to speak again soon. Okay, thanks. Seth. Have thank a good so one. Thanks so much. Bye.